0: Good morning. My name is uh, Pastor John. If you don't know who I am, I'm one of the pastors here on staff at Grace. If you're a first time guest, you picked a great Sunday to come. Our, our lead pastor is out of out of town, and uh, good get a week visiting. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're glad that uh, they, get a, they get a little chance to get a break. we got a big week coming up. High five camp happening this week. Exciting stuff going on here. And I'm glad to be with you guys this morning. We're talking about our familyhood series this summer. We're talking about just real issues that families face. And I'm really excited to, to be a part of that today. Um, and uh, I don't know about your family. If you guys got together yesterday to celebrate the 4th of July, we got together with some of Terrace family that lives here in the state. Um, most of our family is out of state, but we got together with a couple people. But on our first I forget when I was getting to know Tara's family, like her extended family. And I don't know if you have any pranksters in your family, but her family does. And uh, we started dating in high school. Tara and I met in third grade, and then we started dating in high school after I became a Christ follower. She was the first person that I dated after that, and uh, we got real serious, and of course, then we got married. And, in fact, July 4th, 17 years ago, we got engaged. We got engaged 17 years ago yesterday. and it was really extremely romantic, uh, which you know makes sense as I planned it. And uh, so it was—it was incredible. We uh, involves a uh, older couple we'll never ever see again a ring and Walmart. I know there's a great story that I'll share uh, sometime with you. I, I've done it before, but I'll share it again sometime. But anyway, yeah, 17 years ago, we got engaged 4th of July yesterday. But uh, anyway, I remember when I was starting to meet her family, she was the oldest cousin. So, you know, I was sort of the first kind of outsider sort of coming into the family. And, um, and she had a couple of cousins that were real pranksters. And so they wanted to have some fun with me. And uh, anyway, I went to this birthday party, and everybody was there. Both sides of grandparents were there for her cousin and, and uh, aunts and uncles on both sides, family, friends and neighbors. And it was just a really big party, lots of people there. And I'm there and I'm walking in. And I'm trying to not act nervous, but I am a little nervous. And, and uh, I'm trying to introduce myself and meet people. And everybody keeps calling me Lon. Even people that I've met like five minutes before, I'll see them again. and They're like, hey, Lon. And I'm like... What is going on? So Tara's cousins were walking around behind me and like talking to everybody. Like, yeah, did you meet Tara's boyfriend? Oh, no, his name is, he said Lon. That's his name. It's Lon. Telling everybody my name was Lon or Lonnie instead of John. And so everybody's calling me the wrong name. I'm like, what is going on? This is crazy. So I'm super like self-conscious, like nobody's, saying my name right. Seems pretty simple, John. You know, it's been around a while, and but, uh, but anyway, that's weird. Anyway, so, so I figured out it was them. And they kind of got me. Haha, ha, funny. Anyway, then Christmas comes along, right? A couple months later, and I go to my first Christmas with her family. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just, again, just starting to get to know everybody there, whatever. They start to exchange gifts. I'm kind of just hanging off to the side, watching them exchange gifts. No big deal. Then someone says, hey, Grandma, look, John got you something. And I'm like, really? Because I didn't bring anything with me. <laughs> and I look at Tara and I'm like, you know, like, uh, and she's like, you know, like, I don't know anything about it. And, you know, one of the cousins leans over to me and says, you know what? She loves getting presents. We're, we're, we wanted to look out for you. So we got her something. We just put your name on it. And I'm like, okay. And, and uh, so she opens this up. And she's like, oh, wow. It was this costume jewelry. It was this plastic ring that was like this big, this red ruby on it that someone had gotten out of a machine at Walmart for like a quarter. And uh, this matching necklace, this big red medallion, seriously this big. And, and uh, they're like, put it on, Grandma. <laughs> And she's so like, you know, gracious and sweet, Tara's Nana. And, and she's like, oh, I love big rings. And she's wearing this. And Tara's you know, aunts and uncles are like, like what the heck? Like, why did this guy get her this plastic jewelry for a grab? Like, what are they thinking? And, I, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Like, oh, that was my introduction to their family. And they, uh, they show their love that way. Hmm. Holidays can be a lot of fun. You know, sometimes it's fun just being together. Sometimes it's fun at someone's expense, you know. Maybe they go home and they cry. Maybe they eat a whole box of oatmeal cream pies. I don't know. But you know what? Sometimes family getting together can just be fun, fun. It's just fun to get together if you have a family that really gets along and enjoys being together. But what do you do when you get together with your family and you don't get along? Or what do you do when you have family that just are very different than they are and when you get together, there's a lot of tension. Right? Anybody have family like that? Just don't raise your hand because they might be here with you. I don't know. But you know what? We all do. I started talking about today. So turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter's in the end of the Bible. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you today, we'd like to give you a gift. We have a Bible for you so that you can follow along. So go to the towards the very end, 1 Peter chapter 3. This is a real-life series. We're t- calling it Familyhood, and we're looking at real-world families because this is real life, right? The question that Jim uh, asked me to wrestle with with you is how do you live in harmony when people in your family have totally different values than you do? All right. Let me repeat that. How do you live in harmony with people in your family when they have totally different values than you do? I know that that's something that's real life because that's real to my life and it's real to my family. And I know it's real to your lives too because I get get a lot of your questions. As pastors, we get questions from people here at Grace and sometimes people, even the community, that are struggling with this very, very thing. In fact, we got an email just this week from someone here in our church, a member in our church, that was sincerely looking for some help uh, regarding the, uh, the ruling last week from the Supreme Court on same-sex marriage. And here's the email that they sent to us. And of course, they have permission to, to share it. We have a family member, it says, who has been gay for many years. He is a fine man, very nice, and he loves the family. We've tried not to react in anger about his sinful lifestyle, but as soon as the Supreme Court ruling was issued, he posted that he was getting married. When gay members of our families hold ceremonies, joining themselves to like-minded individuals, do we show love and support and attend the ceremony? And do we provide gifts for them? If we go the opposite direction, it seems like we would be displaying an unloving attitude, which is not Christ-like. What do we do? What do you do when people in your family have just different values than you do? What do you do to, to pursue peace, to live in harmony, to try to get along, and to love your family? Maybe it's not a situation like that with your family, but maybe it's maybe it's a situation where they just, maybe they're raising their kids different than you're raising your kids, and you wonder, like, I don't know if I want my kids even around my, you know, brothers or my cousins or whoever it is. I, or maybe it's not family, maybe it's neighbors, or maybe it's friends that were good friends of yours, but now you're sort of on a path pursuing Jesus, and they're not, and so you're kind of going like this, and how do I keep peace? How do I continue to? Have this relationship when our lives are just so different now. Maybe that's your friend calling you, (laughs) right? What do you What do you do? And they want to talk, and and they want to know. They want to know how do can we get together, right? And so they call you on the phone. But what do you do to pursue harmony and peace when that's the case? When you have different sets of values. Maybe, you know, like I said, it's, it's, you're not even sure if you want your kids sort of around. Those are real questions that we struggle with and wrestle with as believers in Jesus. How do you live in harmony? And families are so different today. And, and you know what? It's, it's really a, in some ways a newer thing. Researchers, sociologists will say that it's kind of a new phenomenon. In the last 50, 60 years, families have really become spread out and diverse in their thinking. It used to be that everybody sort of believed kind of the same thing as grandpa believed right? And, and and everybody was sort of in the same boat because everybody lived in the same community and everybody sort of thought the same way and it was just like that. But now in the last 50 years, our world has become so much more global. People move across country. People move across the world, right? We watch the internet. We see how people live on the other side of the world. We see their customs, their values, their beliefs. That wasn't true 50 years ago. Everybody sort of was in this this kind of just one sort of venue. And so it's not unusual today to have a family where maybe you 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 have a believer in a family, a follower of God and of Jesus. And then maybe you have, you know, a Muslim or a witch or a, or a reincarnationalist or, you know, all these different varieties of people in the same family. That's, that's very normal today. It's just different from what it was 50 years ago. And so there's opportunities for a lot more tension perhaps than there used to be. But the reality is it's not that new either. While some things have changed in the last 50 years, family, Conflict is not new at all. I mean, you take a look at just the history of our world, and you take a look at scripture history, the very first family, right? Adam's family, not the Adam's family. I mean, Adam's family. They had conflict too, I'm sure. But in Adam's family, son kills son, right? That's conflict. <laughs> you, look at, uh, you look at Jacob's family. Jacob admitted He loved one of his sons more than the other sons. That caused a lot of conflict. Or or you look at Abraham's family where wife says to Abraham, get rid of other wife and the son that you have with her. That caused some conflict. So families have always had conflict. There's always been this tension. And how do you pursue peace with people that have different, values than you do. Even Jesus in the New Testament, do you realize Mark three twenty one. it says that his family believed he was insane. Jesus's family thought he was crazy because of what he believed about himself, his brothers. And so maybe that makes you and I feel a little bit better about our families. If Jesus's family argued too and had conflict and had to bridge that divide, So let's take a look at our Bibles to see what God has to say or God's words to say regarding this. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're just going to read a couple of verses, verses 15 to 18 together, okay, in a moment here. Peter was writing to Christians who were living in a region of the Roman Empire that was about to come under some persecution. Because of their faith. The believers, the Christians that he is writing to, are about, they're on the upswing, downswing, I suppose, towards a time where they will be persecuted because they are Christ followers, because they are Christians. That's who he was writing to. Rome hadn't really cared much about the Christians up to this point, but the winds were changing and a Jesus-centered worldview was about to become a lightning rod for families and for culture. Peter was writing to them and wanted to give them some instruction to help them know how to handle relationships in a culture where they were the minority. Sound familiar? Let's take a look at this today. Let's stand up, guys. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 to 18. We're going to read it together, okay? First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Here we go. Ready? Read. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Thank you. You can have a seat. So how do you live in harmony when people in your family have totally different values than you do? Take out your notes. We're going to take a look at some powerful truth here from God's word. I want to give you five pieces of truth here to help you live in harmony with those who live differently and believe differently. And here's the first thing. Number one, you need to place Jesus on your heart's throne. What I mean by that is you need to make him number one. You need to be clear about that. The way that, uh, maybe you're thinking, that's not really the way to start by finding peace with someone who believes or thinks differently or, or someone who has different values than I do, but actually it is. And that's why Peter talks about it here in verse 15. He says, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. That word revere means to set apart, set apart Christ, make him different than everybody else. You remember last week, Jim showed that uh, diagram where we kind of typically put God as one, maybe wife or family as two, three, but they're real it's like a close second. And he said, no, that's not the way it's supposed to be. God is number one, way up there. And then all of our other relationships kind of fall way under. That's the picture that Peter paints here as well. We revere, we set him apart as Lord. He is way up there. We're going with what God says. He's number one in my heart. He's number one in my life. God is in charge. So the first thing that you have to do when you're going to pursue peace is to make sure you got that settled, is that you know where you stand, that you're on Christ's team. Because going back and forth, kind of shifting back and forth, maybe living or acting one way based upon the people that you're around, that's not how Christ followers act. That needs to be done, Peter says. Are you in for following Christ or are you not in? Because when you're two-faced about your faith, it does not achieve harmony. It just leaves people around you confused. Because you say something one time, you live different another time. You say something publicly, you live a different way privately. It just leaves people confused. It does not pursue peace with them at all. It, It creates disharmony. And so Peter says, you need to put Christ first. Because your faith will be challenged. Your faith is gonna be challenged. Your friends are gonna challenge it at times. Maybe your closest relationships, your family are gonna challenge your faith, you know, what you believe sometimes, your values. At work, you're gonna be challenged at times. Listen, you're gonna be challenged, especially in our culture that is kind of shifting further and further away from, uh, uh, um, from sort of values that Christians have held for a long time. We're gonna to continue to more and more be challenged in our faith and have to stand up against those who disagree with us. That is just the reality of the world that we live in. And so Christ, or or Peter, tells us that we need to revere Christ in our hearts as Lord. And then he says to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So are you ready? Have you gotten yourself ready for when you're gonna be challenged in your faith? Are you ready to give that answer for the hope that you have? When you're at work and your values of following Christ clash potentially with the poor ethics of your company, are you ready to give your answer at that point? Or when you're challenged by your family member for why you're doing something with your child, why you're raising them a certain way to love Jesus or do things differently than they would do, are you ready to give your answer for why? Or are you going to back away from your faith? Are you ready when you are challenged at work? Are you ready when you're challenged at home? Have you settled in your heart for the fact, are you getting your family ready for the reality that our view is a minority view in our world? And are you ready to stand and are you getting your kids ready to stand up for their faith when potential persecution may come or you retreat away from your faith? Have you made Christ Lord in your hearts? Is that settled? Peter wanted to get his people ready. He was writing to these followers. He knew what was coming. And he wanted to get them ready and he wanted to get us ready too. Our faith will be tested. It will be challenged. And are you and I ready? ready. See, there was a time when Christians had little fear, we're going back to the history here, uh, uh, from the Roman government. In that first century, when Peter's writing this, if you think through the history, right, of the early church in Acts, it was actually the Roman government very often that would sort of protect Paul from the Jews, right? They would take him in, they would protect him. And so for the first, you know, 50, 60 years of Christianity, the Romans did not really care much about the Christians. They thought they were just a, kind of a smaller sect of Judaism. And Judaism was an accepted religion in the Roman Empire. No big deal. But something changes in AD 64, right? So 64 years, and that's what, what 1950 years ago, 1,950 years ago or so? July the 19th, we can almost sort of pin it down to the date through, uh, through uh, history, There was an emperor named Nero. He was the new emperor there in Rome. And uh, in AD 64, in in that summer, in July, in fact, was the great fire of Rome. And uh, Rome, which was a city of narrow streets and kind of high wood tenement housing, began to just light up. And for three days, this fire burned in the city of Rome and almost destroyed it. It got stopped, but then it got relit again. And everybody in Rome knew what had happened. See, Nero was so impressed with himself and his ability to build that he wanted to destroy Rome and rebuild it. Of course, the populace was not very excited about that and, and they didn't you know, love that about him. In fact, history a, 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 a Roman historian will write, Tacitus, writes that Nero watched the fire from, a, from another town, a nearby town in this tall tower and it says that he was charmed by the flower and the glow of the fires that destroyed Rome. And so to throw off the uh, uh, weight of the people hating him, he found a scapegoat and he said it was the Christians that did it. And so people began to persecute the Christians. And Nero said, that's right, that's right, they did this. And began to persecute them. And when you, when you see movies or histories about the days of the Roman gladiators, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. But those were Christians that were in there being killed by lions. And sometimes Nero would take Christians and he would uh, roll them in pitch. That's a, like a lighter fluid. And he would put them on a pole and they would light them at night to light the gardens as he would walk through them. Nero would take Christians and he would put them in sewn animal skins and throw them out into the woods and have the dogs go after them and find them for sport. That's the kind of stuff that was going on. And Peter knew that was coming and he had to get his people ready. They had to know that Christ was Lord, even if it meant persecution. Even if it became unpopular even if it became the minority view, he said, you gotta be ready. So even if your family, even if other people have different values than you do in your neighborhood or in your community, or in your family, you need to be ready as Christ Lord. It was really important for Peter that he settled this himself, you know, after he writes this, during Nero's reign is when Peter himself lost his life. Many Christians were also killed on crosses. And Peter, as he was being brought to his cross for death, he asked them to hang him upside down because he did not want to die in the same way that his Lord Jesus did. He was not worthy to die the same way. And so Peter died on a cross, hung upside down. He was ready. He had made Christ Lord in his heart. And so if we're gonna be people that are pursuing peace that are, that are, that are going after relationships uh, for the gospel, we have to first make sure that he is Lord in our lives. That's the kind of faith that I wanna have, that faith that Peter had. That's the kind of faith that I want my kids to have. That they'll do whatever it takes to follow God and they'll never ever turn their back on him, no matter what the cost might be. That's the kind of faith that Jesus wants you to have. Are you committed to Christ? Have you set him apart in your heart above everything else that this world might offer? Don't be satisfied with less than God's perfect will for your life. Don't be satisfied with less than following him with everything that you have. Settle that first. And the second thing that then we can do, let's take a look at verse 15. It says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. It says, But do this with gentleness and respect. The second thing that you're going to have to do if you're going to pursue peace after you've placed Christ, right, on, the heart, on your heart's throne is to, number two, explain your hope in Jesus with gentleness and respect. If you're looking to make a difference and impact on your family members that have different values than you do, if you're looking to make an impact on your community or on your neighbors who have a different set of values than you do, then you need to explain the hope that you have with Jesus, but you need to do it with gentleness and with respect. The Greek phrase here to give an answer is literally describing about a defense attorney in court who is making a defense for Christ, making, presenting their arguments for, for why Christ is Lord, for why they believe in Christ, for why he has been number one for them. That's the picture that we are to make a defense. We're not to be the prosecuting attorneys who are throwing around hate and throwing around blame on others. We are to do this with gentleness and with respect. Peter says we need to be firm in our faith. We got to set apart Christ as Lord. That's number one. But Christians who just rail and yell and scream in the name of Jesus and for the cause of Jesus at other people are not reflecting Jesus very well. Our anger that spills into then hatred does not help the cause of Christ and is not Christ-centered. Peter wasn't a weak person. When he was telling them to to speak and explain themselves with gentleness and respect, he was not a weak person. Remember, he was the one who defended Jesus with his sword. He started just cutting people when they came to get Jesus. That was Peter. But over the years, he had been seasoned by the Holy Spirit and he realized that was wrong. That That wasn't the best way to win that guy's heart for Jesus by cutting him. I wasn't going to do anything for him. And he realized there was a different way. Peter wasn't a weak person. When he tells us to answer with gentleness, he doesn't mean that we are to be weak. He told us a second ago that we're supposed to be uh, strong in our faith and revere Christ as Lord. You see, weak is weak. That's what weak is. Gentleness is a choice to restrain our power. And he tells us to be gentle. To restrain our power when we're trying to explain ourselves with the gospel. Gentle is how a strong father picks up and holds his little girl. He he could manhandle her just like he does his buddies when they're on the basketball court. But that's not how he treats his little baby daughter. He's gentle with her. And that is the picture that Peter gives us of how we're supposed to treat people who believe differently than we do. We don't manhandle them. We treat them with gentleness and respect in our actions and in our conversations that we have with them. See, sometimes God, it's not that God isn't right. And it's not that we're not right in our opinions or in our views. And it's not that our rights aren't not, sometimes aren't being held up. But it's that we choose to restrain our anger. We choose to restrain our, our, our power. And the reason is because of our mission. You see, our mission as believers in Jesus is not to win arguments. But our mission is to win a person's heart to Jesus. Jesus. So when we see things that are happening, maybe in our family that we don't like, we see things that are happening in our culture that we don't like, when we react with just anger and hate, we, we, we might win an argument, but we lose that person's heart. And that's the mission. So we've lost we've lost sight of the mission. The mission is that that person would come to know Jesus. Not that we would beat them with our Bible in an argument. I'm not gonna be able to, to win a person's heart to Jesus if that person thinks I hate them. I'm not gonna be able to win that person's heart to Jesus, Jesus if that person just thinks I'm better than they are. Yes, we stand for truth. And yes, we stay firm in the scriptures. And yes, that means that sometimes people, even our family, will reject us. And we can't change truth just to stay friends with somebody. I'm not saying that. But our code is Love. And our mission is to win that person's heart for Jesus, not to beat them in an argument. And that's why Peter said, we treat him with gentleness and with respect. Sure, we explain ourselves. Sure, we stand up and say something, but we do it with gentleness and with respect, not with anger, not with hate. It's just gonna turn more people away from the gospel. Peter says in verse 16, he goes on, he says, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Here's the third thing you've got to remember. You've got to place Christ, right, rule in your heart. You've you, you got to explain yourself, but do it with gentleness and respect. The third thing that you have to realize as we're engaging people that have different values, whether they're in our family or our neighbors or in our culture, is that we need to accept that the rules won't be fair. Just accept that. The rules aren't going to be fair. And so we shouldn't be surprised or shocked when we see people that slander Christians or, or when people put us down on Facebook or, or hurt us or say things bad about us because we're followers of Jesus and they call us names, that shouldn't shock us or surprise us, okay? Peter here saying, you need to accept that you're gonna be slandered. Remember Jesus, he divided his family and he said that he would divide families. When you take a stand for Christ, a strong stance for Jesus, you will be slandered. How we see Christians painted on the news Shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said it would happen. Peter says it would happen. Remember when Joseph lived in a pagan culture here back in uh, Genesis, he was living in in Egypt. He was living righteously. Do you remember what happened to him? He was slandered and went to jail for doing nothing wrong. And do you remember Daniel, when he was living in a pagan culture in Persia? He did nothing wrong. He lived righteously. What happened to him? They, they, They said he was praying, and so they put him in jail uh, and they had some lines in there. Do you remember Jesus when he was living in a, in a pagan culture quasi religious culture? He lived righteously and they killed him and so throughout the throughout the pages of history <clears throat> christ 's values have always conflicted with culture's values and society 's values. This may be new to us. The fact that maybe we're in the minority view now as a follower of Jesus, it may be a new thing to us because we've never seen it in our lifetimes. But the people of God have seen this throughout history. This is not new to God. God is not worried what's gonna happen to my church, what's gonna happen to my people. He's been here before. He's lived at this so many times. And Peter says the way that we combat it is we understand that the rules won't be fair, but we live righteously, right? This is what he tells us to do. Verse 16, keep a clear conscience. In other words, do the right thing, live righteously. So those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ will be ashamed of their slander. They won't have anything to say. Here's a silver lining here in our particular context in our culture. While cultural Christianity is in decline Here in America, the last 50, 60 years, biblical Christianity is on the rise because now those who really love Jesus and who are sold out to him are standing out because everybody else doesn't call themselves a Christian anymore. And so there is a silver lining in that, that those who are true followers of Jesus will now sort of stand out and step up. And that's the good news. Here's what you need to accept that we're not going to be treated fairly. We are going to be slandered because we can't get around this. People who don't follow Christ don't share his values. And so it can't surprise us when people who aren't Christ followers make decisions that, that don't reflect Christ's values. They're not Christ followers. We, we can't hold them to a standard that they have not set for themselves. Christ holds us to that standard because we are Christ followers. What do we expect? But we can't bury our heads in the sand and just mope about it. And we're not going to turn to hate or to whining. What we're going to do is we're going to get on mission. We're going to speak up in love. We're going to live righteously in front of those who don't know Jesus. Peter says to live right so that when you're slandered, your behavior shows it's just not true. That's how we're going to make a difference. When we're painted... Here in, in our culture, or maybe by your friends, you are individually, as Joe Christian. Here's Joe Christian right here. He's got a really big Bible on that he's going to hit some people with. and uh, he's, got, uh, he's got his three-piece suit on, nice tie. That's Joe Christian right there. When we're painted that way, when we're painted that way, like Joe Christian, right? And people are going to say things about us. They're going to lob bombs. They're going to slander at us, slander us. Maybe we're going to say, man, those Christians are just not in touch with the world. You know what? A lot of Christians act like they're not in touch with the world. They don't know what's really going on out there. They're actually still living in the 1950s. The things they post on Facebook and the things they say and the way they treat their family. This guy, actually this is true. It sticks because he actually is. Or maybe Joe Christian, they're going to say, man, they're just closed-minded, those Christians. And this guy is closed-minded. He's always right in every argument he's in. He always has the exact right interpretation of that scriptural passage. Jesus told him that morning, and he's the one who's explaining it. And, uh, and he's got it right. He's closed-minded. Or maybe they're gonna lob a bomb. And they're gonna say, man, those Christians, they just gossip all the time. All they do is talk about other people. And that's what this guy does. You ever read what he writes about? Do you ever listen to him talk? All he ever does is talk about this person, what they're doing that's wrong, and this person, what they're doing that's wrong. And, and this, they can't believe this is happening now in this country. And they can't believe this is happening now. That's so all they ever do is gossip. It's true. Or this guy, maybe, maybe they're going to say, oh man, those Christians, they're just so full of hate. All they do is hate. This guy does. He hates people who aren't followers of Jesus. He acts like that. Yells, screams, throws all kinds of stuff out there that's full of hate. Or they think, oh man, he just thinks he's better than everybody else. And honestly, this guy does. This is a person who's not living righteously. And so when the slander comes, it actually sticks because it's true. Christ tells us to live differently. He tells us to to live out our faith. Peter says to live in a way that when they slander you, they have nothing bad to say. It doesn't stick. So when people try to paint us as Joe Christian, when we're living out our faith, and and they want to say to us, man, you know, you're you're just a a gossip. All you ever do is talk about people. It doesn't stick. Because they want to say that about us, but as they get to know us as our neighbors, our family, they're like, you know what, but you don't do that. You don't talk about, you know, our other neighbor that their marriage is struggling right now. You're actually involved in trying to help them. You're not just talking about them. Or, or they say, you know, people want to say uh, that, uh, that you're just not in touch with the world. But it doesn't stick because they're like, you are sort of a normal person. Like you're living with tr- troubles with your kids as well. And you don't try to hide your problems. And you actually are in touch with the world. And you're doing something about problems in our community. You're active Right? You're, full, you're, you're part of that church that's grace and action in our community. You're making a difference. You actually are in touch with the world. Or they want to lob bombs at us, slander, and say you're closed minded. But they're like, but you know what? You're not really closed minded because you actually have a conversation with me. You don't think you already know the answer before we talk. You listen. And yeah, I mean, I've not yet, maybe they think to themselves, I've not yet convinced you you're wrong about God, but you're not closed minded. You'll listen to me. Or they want to say that you're just full of hate, but they're like, you know what? You're not really full of hate. It doesn't stick because you really care about me and I'm not a follower of Jesus and neither are other neighbors or people, but you're really nice to us and you take time to talk with us and, and you're involved in our neighborhood events and you don't just pick at us and stay away from us. You're actually engaged in our lives. Or they want to say that, uh, uh, oh, you just think you're better. But again, they're like, man, but it's not how you come across. You're really humble. And you admit when you're struggling and you admit your trials and you don't just act like life's great all the time. Like you have it all together, you're real. And this is how Christ tells, this is how Peter tells us to live our faith in a way that when the slander comes, it just doesn't stick because that's not really how we're living. I'll never forget a couple years ago, we used to live on Third Street here in Goshen when the jail was still there on Third Street as well. There was a, a gentleman who, who got released and he was walking down Third Street looking for some help and uh, just trying to get to Elkhart and needed a way there and, no family was there when he got released, and he didn't have a way to get there. And he came to our door, he knocked on our door, and I forget what he said. He told us a story, asked if we could help him. We said, sure, we can, we can get you back to Elkhart. And Brent, you remember, you and I drove him back to Elkhart. And uh, he, he said, he came, he, came, he came to our door, and he said, you know, I knocked on several doors here on 3rd Street. And uh, they said, you know, we can't help you. But if you go to that house there with the with the green siding, I know those people will help you. And uh, knocked on another door, and they said the same thing. And I knocked another door, they said the same thing. And he said, "So I knew you guys would help me." Is that the kind of light that we want to have in our community? We're not just railing against people, but when people actually need help, they know where they can turn because there's a family that lives in their neighborhood that they know will help them. They know that there's somebody who has some answers to life's problems. They know that there's somebody who's there who has a kind ear, who's kind to his neighbors and loves them. Is that the kind of light that God wants us to be? That's what Peter says. When they try to slander you, it won't stick, it doesn't stick. Or are you the kind of family that just puts up these posts and these signs in your yard and these signs with your Facebook posts and these signs with, your, with the way you treat other people that says, I don't want to help you. In fact, I hate you because you're not a follower of Christ. Peter says it's not going to win anybody. We've got to treat people with gentleness and respect. Our mission is to win their hearts to Jesus and when we, when we just accept that we're going to be slandered and no matter what we do, people are going to treat us wrongly, that's okay. When the bombs come, if we're living like Jesus, they're not going to stick. But realize that there will be bombs and they will come because you and I take a stand for Christ. That happens. So we need to accept the rules won't be fair. Here's the fourth thing. Let's take a look at verse 17. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Peter says we got to live we got to live that sometimes you know what we we things aren't going to work out great for us we're going to be persecuted maybe your family is going to treat you wrong you're not going to get invited to stuff because you're a Christian or or maybe your neighbors are, are going to treat you wrong or people are going to talk about you whatever it is he says that's going to happen but if it's God's will it's better than that happens than you doing the wrong thing this person lives who's pursuing peace with a view of God's will, that, hey, whatever happens, happens. God's in control. And so the fourth truth is this, that control is in the hands of our God. We can live and we might disagree and, and we might not always be treated right, but that's okay. Control is in the hands of our God. Again, he's not, this is not new to him. He's been through this before, throughout the pages and pages of history. He's been here before in this type of culture and, and he's in control and he's okay. Okay. And he's not worried. And we can have confidence in that. Whatever God's will is, God's will is. We're just going to live righteous. We're going to love our families. We're going to love those who believe differently than us. And we're going to win them into his family. And here's a fifth thing. Verse 18. For Christ also suffered, it says, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. To bring who to God? To bring you to God, it says. Peter reminds us that, you know what? God changed you. God changed me. God changed us. Is it possible that God could change that person that's in our family? Is it possible that God could reach that neighbor? Is it possible that we could still see an incredible revival here in our nation, in our world? Absolutely it is. You see, here's the fifth thing we have to believe and hold on to is that everyone can change. God can change anyone. That person that you think it's impossible will never come to Christ. Do you know what? Two weeks ago at Dad Fest, there were some families here who someone came to Christ who they thought would never, ever come to Christ. God is still changing lives. He changed you. He came to this, he came to this world. He died, the, the righteous for the unrighteous, so he could reach you. And you know what? He can reach them. Christ's mission is to reach everyone. He can change that person that's impossible to reach. He could change your boss. He could reach him through you. He could change your coworkers that are so full of hate. He could change them. They could come to Christ. That can happen. Everyone can change. Christ's mission to reach people in our world guides everything we do. So whether I'm an employee or an employer, whether I'm a husband or a wife, a son or a daughter, whether I'm a friend, a student, I'm on mission for Christ. I'm trying to win people for Jesus in everything that I do. That's what I'm about. I believe that God can change them, right? That's how we live our lives. So are you on mission? Do the decisions that you make with your time and your money advance the kingdom of God? is the way that you're living your life right now advancing the kingdom of God. Are people falling in love with Jesus because they're seeing you live out your faith? Are you talking about God? Talking about your faith, trying to win people towards him with your gentleness, your gentleness and your kindness in the way that you treat them. Sometimes though things don't always go great. We can pursue peace. We can pursue harmony. We can believe God's in control. We can accept that rules won't be fair. We can believe that everyone's going to change. And sometimes that just doesn't happen. And sometimes we still have conflict in our family. Let me give you three real quick tips, three things to, to keep in mind when you got conflict still in your family. Number one, this is really important to understand this, that you showing love to someone doesn't equal approval of their lives. Sometimes we think that if I'm nice to them, if I go to this event in their life or something, that that means I'm approving of everything they do. And that's just not true. I can still show kindness to somebody and not feel like I'm approving of them, right? That doesn't mean that I've let go somehow of my Christian values because I show kindness to someone who thinks differently than I do. And so don't, don't, don't confuse those two, all right? That's important you understand that. Sometimes maybe you'll come to the decision that you do need to stay away from something. But sometimes you may say, you know what? I feel good about doing this and I'm gonna show kindness in this instance. And that doesn't mean that I'm approving of everything that's going on in that person's life. Here's number two to keep in mind. There are extreme circumstances when you need to cut off a relationship for a period of time. There are, there are circumstances where that's the case where you gotta cut off a relationship because it's just not good or healthy. But those, exter- those um, circumstances, like I said, are extreme. Those are extreme. Those aren't normal, Okay. So that's not your first, well, we're just not going to be around them anymore. We're just not going to engage them anymore. We're, just, we're, not going to, you know, we're not going to talk to them anymore. That's not normal. That's an extreme circumstance after several other attempts at trying to do different things. But there are times where that's necessary. Because here, this is really important too. Number three, remember this. Without any contact and communication, there's never any opportunity for reconciliation. So be careful because when you do cut yourself off from people, there's no way that you can be reconciled to them. If you have no communication, no contact, no opportunity to, to share God's love, you'll, you'll never. And so just lobbing bombs back and forth, that, that never works. We need to have this, this contact. We need to be able to win people to have reconciliation with them. So keep that in mind as well. So what are we gonna do? As we have people that are in our families or in our worlds and our spheres of influence that live differently and have different values than us, We're gonna place Jesus on our heart's throne. We're gonna explain our hope in Jesus with gentleness and respect. We're gonna accept that the rules won't be fair. We're gonna believe that control is in the hands of our God and we're gonna hold on to this truth that everyone can change. And if you see the the first letter of all those spells the word peace. This is how we'll find peace in our relationships, peace in our family and and peace in our hearts because we have a clear conscience that we've done all that we can do. To reach somebody for Jesus, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Are you pursuing peace in your relationships with the purpose of being on mission? That's how you'll get the blessing of God in your life. He says, I'll bless peacemakers. I'll bless those who pursue peace. I guess the opposite is also true. God's not going to bless the life of a person who's causing division in their families, causing divisions in their communities, causing division with the people that are at work. But are you a peacemaker? Are you one who's trying to reconcile, that's trying to work towards things coming together? What would our community look like if all of us would pursue this kind of peace? Not peace where we're stamping out truth. We're walking away. Remember number P, letter P stands for placing Christ on our heart, on, on the throne of our heart. And so we don't walk away from God's word. We don't walk away from truth. I'm not talking about peace at any cost. I'm talking about real peace. What would happen if we would all be pursuing that? What if we were all on mission with Christ? at work and in our community and in our family trying to win people to the Lord. God is up to something and we may see the greatest revival in the history of our world yet. And we wanna be a part of it. I wanna be a part of it. Our church wants to be a part of it. I hope that you wanna be a part of it. So let's not be closed minded. Let's not be closed to reaching people. Let's not put walls up where Christ wants us to tear them down. Let's put those walls down so we can reach people for the Lord.